Welcome to the Modern Law Revolution podcast, uh, sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association and featuring the successful and happy lawyers who are revolutionizing the practice of law in Colorado. I am Erica Holmes, founder of E.L. Holmes Legal Solutions, a modern law practice focusing on family law and attorney ethics and regulation, and I am the inaugural chair of the CBA's Modern Law Practice Initiative. And I'm Lauren Lester, your guest co-host, again, founder of Lester Law, a family law practice, and co-founder of On Purpose Legal Network. I'm also a past chair of the CBA's Modern Law Practice Initiative. MLPI's mission is to revolutionize the legal profession by enhancing access to innovative, client-driven, and cost-effective legal services that empower lawyers to build thriving practices. With the legal profession pretty entrenched in tradition, a big pushback to changing the way things are done is that it's just unethical. No better way to stop a legal revolution than with disbarment. Well, our ethics rules not only allow for modern representation, they actually promote it. And our guests today, straight from the Office of Attorney Regulation Counsel and MLPI's official liaison, is going to talk us through the ethics of modern law and show us how being good is actually quite easy. And our guest has a ton of information to share, so we're just going to jump right into it. Jonathan White is the Professional Development Counsel and Inventory Counsel at the Colorado Supreme Court Office of Attorney Regulation Counsel. Say that three times fast. Uh, he assists in the, the office with the maintenance and development of proactive educational programming to help lawyers meet their obligations under the Colorado rules of uh, professional conduct. And as part of that role, he was the project manager, which means he actually created the amazing Colorado Lawyer Self-Assessment Program, um, which is available on the Attorney Regulation website, and John's going to uh, touch on that later. Um, but the most important aspect of the assessment program, as far as I'm concerned, is that it has its own special section for modern lawyers. And as, uh, last but not least, as Lauren mentioned, um, John, in, um, <laughs> in all his spare time, is our liaison with MLPI. We are just thrilled to have you with us today. Hey everyone, I'm glad to be here today. Thank you so much for that kind introduction, Erica. So John, with all of your experience with the office and working with lawyers who are practicing modern law, what do you find are the most common myths that you've encountered that modern law is just unethical? I think that there's a traditional view that in order to effectively and therefore ethically represent a client, you've got to be responsible for the entire legal matter from the start to the finish, from the moment the client comes in the door, all the way through the end of the transaction, uh, through trial, whatever it is. Um, why that view is out there, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with uh, that approach necessarily, but clearly it's not the only approach. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, and you all have mentioned that the rules of professional conduct permit limited scope representation. I think the movement is gaining traction, and the reality is not all clients can afford that full scope of services. So again, why this myth um, is out there, you know, I'm not certain, certain, I'm not a psychiatrist, or, and I don't have that kind of background. But you know, let's, let's look at ourselves as lawyers. What drives us? We like to be in control. We like to problem solve. We want to avoid situations where there's gonna be a mess that we have to go clean up down the road. And I think that that may feed into some of the, the resistance to the modern representation unbundled legal services model, but there's certainly ways to address that. And the reality is, even if we're handling all aspects of the representation, 
That doesn't mean that there's going to be a good outcome, that we're going to be able to get exactly what the client wants. So, you know, I, I don't think that modern representation, just because it's limited in scope, is necessarily any more risky uh, for lawyers to engage in. So, you know, just, just some thoughts there. Lauren, another thing, you know, that I, I would say that maybe helps get rid of this myth to some degree. Let's say you or I had a family member or a colleague who needed to hire a lawyer. We would want that person to have the best representation out there, right? But I think we'd also probably encounter in that conversation with them the issue of costs. And how would we respond to that? You know, and I, I think one of the best ways to respond to that is to say, you know, there are lawyers who actually engage in limited scope representation. It is entirely permitted by the rules of professional conduct. It's, it's ethical, there's not a problem with it. So, hey, in addition to, uh, you know, looking at, at all the options out there for lawyers, look at the type of services they engage in and whether there's, there's ways to control your costs if you feel like you can handle aspects of the representation. That may not get rid of this, uh, you know, myth about modern law being unethical, but I think it's something that just day-to-day -day practical reality people would want to address if they were going to say, hey, I'm going to hire a lawyer. What are things I need to be aware of? I think the fact that there is this alternative way of uh, billing and representing clients is really worth talking to folks about um, because there is the access to justice issue and because not everyone can sign up for representation at $300 an hour for an undisclosed amount of, for an, I shouldn't say an undisclosed, an unknown period of time and, and for an unknown amount. So that that's more information than probably your, your prompt asked for, but I hope that that's helpful. And I think you make a really good point because, you know, we are a service industry. And so the client is who we need to meet where they are at. And cost is certainly a big factor. But I've also encountered some clients who want to be more involved, like they want to do yeah. something more in the case. And so if you sort of have this one size fits all, I can only do everything, then you're not really serving that client and meeting them where they're at. But the rules are obviously promoting that we can customize the services so that we're giving the client exactly what they need. There's your Miss Buster right there. If you have any questions about whether something's unethical in general, if someone's telling you something that we check with John first. So John, um, I said in the intro that not only do the Colorado rules of professional conduct allow for modern representation, but they actually promote it. Um, what do you think is the uh, best example or a couple of examples of how the rules actually promote lawyers to practice modern law? So how do the rules promote uh, modern representation? Or before we get into the actual rules that permit modern and limited scope representation, let's look at the preamble to the rules of professional conduct. And specifically, I'm thinking about comment six to the rules, or to the preamble. It says that as a public citizen, a lawyer should seek improvement of the law, access to the legal system, the administration of justice, and the quality of service rendered by the legal profession. It also speaks to a lawyer being mindful of the deficiencies in the administration of justice and the fact that the poor and sometimes persons who are not poor cannot afford adequate legal assistance. Therefore, all lawyers should devote professional time and resources and use civic influence to ensure equal access to our system of justice for all those who, because of economic or social barriers, cannot afford um, or secure adequate legal counsel. When I look at that language in the preamble, 
I think that there's a call, not just for lawyers to engage in pro bono representation, but look at ways we can expand access to the legal system for all people. And for some, modern representation, which in entails, again, we're not, we're not signing up for the full um, uh, scope of services, but the client's going to handle perhaps certain aspects of the matter, or you're only going to handle certain services for the client in the legal matter, really, I think, addresses uh, some of those access to justice concerns uh, that are identified there in the preamble that I just read in the commentary there. So to me, that is calling on lawyers to look at alternative ways to deliver legal services. And that's the preamble to the rules of professional conduct. You know, if we look at the rules themselves, certainly the, the starting point for modern representation and limited scope representation is going to be rule 1.2c uh, to the rules of professional conduct that permits a lawyer to limit the scope of representation or the objectives provided that that limitation is reasonable and the client gives informed consent. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, there may be qualms over, well, you know, is this a, a reasonable limitation? All of us as lawyers, I think, are, are very well versed and very capable of identifying why a limitation is reasonable. Uh, you know, I think we can paper that uh, or, or uh, you know, paper that up in an engagement letter and an email to a client so that the client is informed as to why the representation is of limited scope, why that seems to be appropriate. And part of that may be based on the client's desires. And certainly I think part of that too is gonna be the lawyer's analysis of what is the legal matter that the client has come to you with? You know, what all does it entail? Can I provide some sort of limited representation that's still gonna be helpful to that, that client as opposed to no representation? And, and that makes, to me, an argument for, yeah, the limitation is reasonable. So let's dispense with those qualms, put this in writing, and, and use that to get informed consent from the client. Like I said, the, the client has to provide informed consent to the limited representation. Uh, and informed consent is also a defined term in the rules of professional conduct under Rule 1.0, subsection E. And it means that the client has been advised of the material risks and reasonable alternatives to proceed, proceeding down some course of action. So here we're talking about limited scope representation. I think, you know, what, what are the risks? Certainly we've kind of hinted at those, the idea that perhaps something goes awry that the client was involved in handling and the lawyer wasn't handling, but that was contemplated by the fact that limited scope representation was what was sought. The lawyer wasn't representing the client at whatever maybe hearing it was, at whatever the deposition was, but that was specifically considered and the client advised of that, that risk and the client chose to proceed down that path. Now, I think when you talk about, you know, what are the alternatives? Well, the alternatives too are that the, the client proceeds pro se without any help, without any advice um, before going into whatever the transaction was, whatever the negotiation was, or whatever the, the piece of litigation was, which I think is, is even more harmful. That's what Rule 1.2c requires, but it is the green light for lawyers to engage in limited scope representation under the rules of professional conduct. So if you're on the fence about, is this ethical, is this not ethical, 
I would say start there. So you just mind blowing all over the place, um, starting with that, um, the rules, it, for one, they don't prohibit it, um, but they actually are like, here, here's how you can actually do it. And letting everyone know that there's a preamble to the rules, because a lot of people don't even realize there are rules out there. So thank you for sharing the preamble. <laughs> the preamble is great, great reading. And, and, and there's a lot really in that, in that comment about, uh, you know, concern that all people have access to legal representation. And it's up, I think that is putting it out there for lawyers to be innovative in how we deliver legal services. So we know that the rules of professional conduct promote modern law. What about the Colorado rules of civil procedure? Is there anything in there that also helps promote modern law? First, let's look at uh, Colorado rule of civil procedure 11b. Uh, that permits a lawyer to assist a client in drafting some sort of, say, pleading, some sort of motion. You may have heard this referred to as ghost writing. If you're going to engage in this on behalf of a client, say, as part of some sort of limited representation where you're just there to review uh, materials brought to you by the client or assist in, in writing them, but you're not actually going to be you know, counsel of record for the whole matter. So if you're, you're going to engage in, in this type of ghostwriting, take a look at Rule 11B. There's a certification requirement there that must be included on whatever pleading is filed with the court. Uh, and the rule is very specific as to what needs to be in that certification, including your name, your address, your telephone number, your registration number, as well as an affirmation that you've reviewed the pleading that to the best of your belief, after you've done reasonable inquiry into the matter, that the pleading and the arguments are well-grounded in fact and warranted by law or some sort of good faith argument for the reversal, extension, or modification of that law. Uh, that language is, um, like I said, it, it's expressly set out in the rules, so go take a look at that if uh, your limited scope representation is going to include some sort of ghost writing um, work for the client. In terms of this being so easy to be um, ethical, I mean, you can just literally like cut and paste, like right out of the rules, smack dab, there's your certification, you're done. So like, don't let the certification um, intimidate anyone. Yep, exactly. It is, it is there for you. <laughs> where, 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 where a rule, uh, you know, has that, you know, use it. Um, similarly, in the rules of professional conduct, Erica would make it to this, but like flat fee rule that was, um, published a few years ago, it's got a template for you to use. There's no reason not to use these things. Um, so, um, Lauren, back to your question, the rules of civil procedure, there's another rule to look at, uh, Rule 121. I think most folks in Colorado who have practiced for a while know about Rule 121. It's, it, it's extremely helpful, covers a, a number of things that you'll want to be aware of if you're litigating matters in state courts. But it includes in section 1-1, subsection 5, a uh, limited appearance that a lawyer may file before some sort of hearing where you're going to represent a person in the matter, uh, but only for that limited uh, in, in time um, proceeding. You're not going to take over full representation. So you file this with the court. It puts everyone on notice, all the parties to the matter, that, hey, you're entering for this specific pur purpose. And then when you're when that proceeding is done, so that, that hearing's done, you file a notice of completion saying, I've completed my work. That notice allows you to be in the court um, then is, is to not just 
you know, enter some um, order saying, you know, you're, you're, you have appropriate leave report to be off the matter, but indeed you're, you're done. Like your representation is over once that, that notice of completion is filed. So like I said, if you're going to be involved in some legal um, proceeding for a short period of time and provide limited representation, look at that rule 121 section 1-1 subsection 5 for that limited entry of appearance. And I'm going to throw in again, like the super easy, um, in that there are actually court forms on the court um, with the website that um, you can just fill out to do limited appearance. Yeah, and I think it's really important when you're doing limited appearance as a practical tip to be really specific about that scope, um, because if you send it out and then the other parties are unsure, is she still involved? Is she not involved? You know, we want to be really detailed so that it's just crystal clear. This is just the piece that I'm working on. But John, I wanted to circle back, kind of touching on Erica's point about the court forms when it comes to the certification for ghostwriting, the 11B certification. Is there anything to tease out there if you are using a JDF form? Is that still required that certification at the bottom, or is that only um, when it's obviously a form that's been typed up entirely by the attorney? So Lauren, I think in response to that, it's, you know, if you're using a court approved, prepared form, or your client's using that, and you're reviewing that, there's not a modification of that, you, you know, th to me, that is not a, a pleading um, you know, where you, that you are, quote, ghostwriting, and there's not a need for Rule 11B uh, certification in that situation. So John, let's not forget about the money. Uh, tell us how easy it is to ethically make money practicing modern representation. You know, I may have to pivot back, Erica, to you and Lauren on this one. You all have, uh, along with other members of MLPI, really provided a wonderful sounding board and place to promote the idea that it, you know, this is a business model that is extremely viable. So I commend you all for that. I think if we're going to look at this from an ethics perspective, to me, most lawyers engaging in limited scope representation are going to be doing so on a flat fee basis. So if you're going to, if, if that is your billing model, take a look at rule 1.5H, which was announced or promulgated, if you want to use the fancy word, by the state Supreme Court two years ago this, this month. And it deals with requirements for flat fee representation, including that the, you know, that the uh, flat fee agreement has got to be in writing, that you have got to specify when the fees are earned, a way to calculate your fee if the representation ends uh, before it was planned to end. So say before, um, you know, the, the trial is completed or the, the negotiation is done, um, there has to be a way to calculate that. It also includes uh, information that there must be an advisement as to how disputed funds will be handled. So that that is Rule 1.5H. That is one where I, I previewed that uh, there are situations where there are, uh, you know, models uh, of uh, agreements that lawyers can use have actually been published by the court. Uh, and that's one where the court did publish a sample or a template flat fee agreement. So I recommend taking a look at look at that. And it, you know, and I think in terms of, um, of profitability overall, let's move out of the rules of professional conduct for a minute. 
and go back to that concept of what would what will we tell friends or family who are looking for a lawyer? You know, and like you said, they may want they want the best, but they may also be constrained by other concerns. And I think you know, if your practice is one where you can say, yeah, I, I am available to provide that, that full scope of representation, or I also do modern representation and limited scope representation. You know, you may be able to pick up a whole pool of clients out there that maybe other lawyers aren't um, able, able to service. So, you know, again, think about that from, a, from an economic model. Uh, but, but beyond that, I defer to, to you, Erica, and, and to Lauren and, and uh, you know, your leadership and, and thoughts on, on how to make this um, successful. Well, I would go back to easy because that seems to be my theme of the day or theme of all time with the form that is in for flat fees in the rules 1.5H. It actually says right in the rules that if you follow that form, it's sufficient to keep your butt out of attorney regulation. Now, it might not say it in that exact language, but that is the essence of that rule. So it's just really helpful. It's again, just plain, simple, cut, paste, and you're done. What about you, Lauren? I really wanted to underscore John's point about, you know, folks out there who need help. I mean, we've all heard the statistic and it floats around sort of depending on what data you're looking at, but let's say between 60 and 75% of litigants aren't represented in all different types of courts. And we hear that and that is certainly an access to justice issue that we need to address. But as business owners, that's a market that's not being tapped. Um, And those are folks who generally have some funds. There's not 70% of the population qualifies for legal aid. So these are people who have some funds. They just don't have a lot or what a traditional lawyer would cost, or they aren't comfortable with the unknown. Like John mentioned, they, they have something, but they're not willing to write a blank check. And so having these opportunities to serve that market is only just good for business and also good to provide more legal help to our fellow community. John, are there any other um, money-oriented uh, rules that our listeners should be aware of when it comes to the ethics? You bet. So I'm going to depart a little bit from um, concerns that are unique to modern representation. But those of you listening to this, you're licensed lawyers. I want you to take a look at Rule 1.15D of the Colorado Rules of Professional Conduct. This relates to your bookkeeping for your trust account, for your operating account. It also has requirements that you keep copies of fee agreements, which in the case of modern representation, that may be where you spelled out precisely what the scope of services are that you're going to provide. And it says not only do you have to keep those for a course, but for a period of seven years, um, but when it comes to your trust account, your operating account, it says, you know, here are here's the information that needs to be in those records. You know, if we're looking at at a trust account, what funds are in there, when those funds were received, who those funds belong to, the contact information for those funds, when funds were dispersed out of that account. I know for many that sounds like a lot of bookkeeping and record keeping, and I entirely recognize that lawyers are very busy. There's all sorts of competing demands on your time. Erica mentioned at the beginning, I work as inventory counsel on a number of matters. Um, Jonathan, could you give us a, a brief description of what inventory counsel actually is? So inventory counsel, for those unfamiliar with the concept, this is the appointment of a lawyer in a situation where another lawyer has died, become disabled, disappeared, or in certain circumstances faces significant discipline and can no longer practice. A lawyer is appointed to protect client interests. Usually that means returning client files, but because it also uh, considers uh, that lawyer acting um, to protect client interests through the return of client property, 
the funds in trust are going to presume under, we're going to presume under Rule 1.15a that those funds belong to clients or to third parties, not to the lawyer. It's going to then fall to inventory counsel to, to deal with the dispersal of funds in trust. But that, that, is a, um, th that is a term we use to describe that essentially lawyer wind up role. In other states, it may be referred to as say a receiver um, and uh, it is limited in scope. Uh, the inventory counsel appointment doesn't contemplate that lawyer taking over uh, the cases and taking over the representation. It's just, hey, client, I have a file. Here it is. I'm available to return this to you. If you need a new lawyer, you can, you know, you can pursue, um, pursue that on your own. One of the biggest um, things that I can tell you all from my experience working as inventory counsel is simply how important it is to be able to trace the funds that you are holding in trust for others. Uh, because if something were to happen unexpectedly to you and another lawyer needs to recreate you know, an accounting of your trust account and you've not complied with Rule 1.15D, it's not only gonna be very difficult for that person it, or the, and that lawyer, I think that, that the risk that um, clients maybe who are owed money don't get money back increases. Um, I think the risk that maybe if there's an estate that's created for you um, that could be owed um, some money because there are earned fees in trust but it, it wasn't documented and there's no way to define what money here is earned, they're shortchanged. So so think about that. I, I, like I said, I know it's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of components to that rule, um, but if you're not engaged in, in that practice, look to start doing it because ultimately were something to happen to you unexpectedly, I think the harm that can um, happen from not having that information um, is, is considerable. So just a, an urge, urging there. And then last, going back to the modern representation world or, or to any type of legal services, if you've earned the fees, move them out of trust. You know, there's no need to be keeping fees um, in your Coltaf account for months on end because you just haven't been good about about bookkeeping. You know, this is <laughs> this is a business. You've earned that money. Um, you've documented it. You've provided um, some sort of billing statement to the client. There's no dispute about it. Move the funds out of trust. Pay yourself. So, uh, for those who are really interested in this concept, it's Rule 251.32H of the Colorado Rules of Civil Procedure. I love that you're a walking rule book, John. You just know those numbers off the top of your head. It's so awesome. So with that, what else do we need to know? Are there any other particular ethical pitfalls that us modern lawyers should be on the lookout for or should be doing something to proactively avoid? Yeah, let's start with rules. Um, I think one of the biggest rules, whether you're engaged in modern legal representation or, or the traditional approach, is rule 1.4 communicate with clients it's a shall it's not a reason it's not a rule of um, you know maybe uh, you know the, the, the level of communication there is a reasonableness factor that applies there but you've got to keep the client reasonably informed of the status of the matter and respond to requests for information I think whether you're engaged in modern representation or otherwise people want to know what's going on um, in their case. And this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. There are clients who, are, who really want to, to have a role in this, and this is why for them modern representation is a good thing, but they need to hear from you. And, and I think that where lawyers um, really can, can run into trouble in terms of a complaint coming into our office uh, is simply because there's a communication 
breakdown. And no one likes that. And I would venture to say now in the pandemic that people might even want to hear from you more than, than they did before. So one thing that I think we all touched on, but it's worth really stressing is the value of a really good engagement letter or fee agreement that's precise about the scope of representation that you're going to provide and handles these issues related to flat fees or whatever your billing structure is that we've talked about. Um, let's, Lauren, let's go away from the rules for a minute. I think ethical, ethical problems can arise if two things are overlooked in a lawyer's life and practice. And one is not connecting. You know, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think we all need to learn from other lawyers. Uh, and we all need validation that what we're doing in terms of running our practices, in terms of approaching legal problems, is the right approach, or maybe there's other ways to go about that. I think where, where lawyers can run into problems in terms of the rules of professional conduct and complaints come into the Office of Attorney Regulation Council is just they've been isolated, they lack a mentor. The Modern Law Practice Initiative is an excellent resource. You know, This is a way for you to connect to lawyers who have wonderful experience providing this type of legal representation. As you all can tell from Lauren and Erica, they're totally enthused about it, so they'll be happy to help you. That may be one way for you to connect. Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program is another excellent resource out there. There may be mentors available or mentoring circles that you can participate in with other lawyers who are engaged in modern representation. So my recommendation in terms of avoiding ethical pitfalls is just make sure you're connected and not isolated. Last, let's talk about um, the issue of lawyer well-being. That's been a priority for the Office of Attorney Regulation Council uh, for quite some time because we do see a, a tie-in, even if we don't necessarily track, uh, you know, in terms of disciplinary cases, which ones featured some sort of mental health and substance use issue. I think anecdotally, lawyers would say, you know, oftentimes, if there's some sort of professional uh, conduct complaint, it can be attended by some sort of underlying well-being issue that's, that's not taken care of. So take time to take care of yourself. I, I think that that is probably one of the biggest ways um, you know, to, to be effective in practice, to be successful, um, you know, find time to tune it out, to take a break. And I know that's tough. I mean, I, you know, I, I've a practicing lawyer as well. You know, there are times where we are on 24 seven, there are weekends upon weekends that we, we have to give away, but then do find time to, to get away from, from the practice, to disconnect from technology, to have that mental break. So, you know, I hope that's helpful. Um, Lauren, your, your question didn't prompt it, but, but while I'm just talking about proactive resources, Erica did mention the Lawyer Self-Assessment Program. That's something I've uh, been involved in um, managing and helping to create. I should say I didn't. Um, a lot of the material there uh, was created by a wonderful group of volunteer lawyers uh, back in 2015, 2016, and 2017 um, who were interested in helping other lawyers succeed in their practice. And so they came together and looked at, you know, here's not only what the rules of professional conduct require, but here are some best practices that have allowed me to succeed in my practice. And I want other lawyers in Colorado to be aware of it. So it covers topics ranging from, I talked about communications with clients, how to make sure that that's going perhaps as seamlessly as possible to avoiding conflicts of interest to topics that we've talked about a lot here, access to justice and ways that you may promote that through your practice, including engaging in modern 
representation to issues of how to promote uh, your own well-being. So take a look at that resource. It's available at www.coloradosupremecourt.com. That's the website for the Office of Attorney Regulation Council. Uh, and you can take it piecemeal. So there's 10 different sections. Maybe you do one section over lunch today. Maybe you do another one over lunch next week or next month. And at the end, when you're done with it, it's available for three general and three ethics credits. So it's a way for you to get additional CLE uh, credit it is free. It is confidential per Rule 256 of the Colorado Rules of Civil Procedure. Take a look at it. Last, the other reason that I love it is um, one of the things those of us involved in creating it really made a point to do was to connect it or to incorporate in it free resources. So you can look at template engagement letters so that you can look at the Modern Law Practice Initiatives resources online that are free and available and you don't have to have a password to get to these things. I mean, there's ethics opinions. All those things are there with the idea that this should be an educational experience. Well, John, keeping in mind that as an employee of the Office of Attorney Regulation Council, that you cannot give legal advice as much as we would all love to hear, <laughs> have you tell us what to do, but can our um, audience still contact you if they have questions about ethical rules pertaining to modern representation? You bet. You're welcome to contact me, um, and you summed it up. I can't give legal advice. I can certainly suggest resources, parts of rules, commentary for you to look at and places to go. So my contact information, j.white at csc.state.co.us. Uh, my phone number, 303-928-7919. That's part of my job that I enjoy. So if, if I can be a resource, feel free to turn to me. There are other great resources out there, including the Ethics Committee's Ethics Hotline and some of the other resources that I've mentioned. Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program, MLPI Meetings, um, that's a great place to go to. The MLPI community has resources out there. Last, we talked about lawyer well-being. You want to reach out and, and talk to someone because you're dealing with some sort of personal crisis or just struggling for some reason. Look at the Colorado Lawyer Assistance Program. Communications to them are strictly confidential. Um, that's, uh, again, Colorado Lawyer Assistance Program. It's coloradolap.org. Sarah Myers, the executive director, and her team do a fantastic job, and they've done a really nice job putting out materials responding to the current pandemic and the heightened levels of stress and anxiety that we're all experiencing. Well, even though, John, you might be limited a bit in what you can answer, MLPI will never leave our listeners in the lurch, especially when it comes to ethics and answering their questions. So um, two more resources, and you touched upon one of them. First is the CBA Ethics Hotline. Um, it's a free resource for attorneys who need immediate assistance with ethical dilemmas or questions. So you actually can be like, okay, this is going on, you know, what am I supposed to do? And the inquiries are handled by individual members of the CBA Ethics Committee. Uh, attorneys who call in can expect to briefly discuss the ethical issue with the hotline volunteer. However, it is always best to look at the rules before you call in and do your own research just so um, you're on the same page and understand what the volunteer is helping you with. So um, to contact a hotline volunteer, call the CBA office's at the regular main number 303-860-1115 and ask to speak with someone with the ethics hotline. The other resource for our listeners that you can take advantage of is the How to Start a Revolution helpline. If you have any questions for our presenter or topics you would like covered in a podcast, just call the helpline and leave us a message. We will actually play your question on the next podcast and provide an answer. 
So make sure to leave your name and the name of your firm or organization so everyone knows who their fellow revolutionaries are. The phone number is 303-824-5399. Again, that's 303-824-5399. It will also be posted on the MLPI community page. Welcome to the revolution. If you've got questions, we have answers. Thank you to Jonathan um, and showing us all how easy it is for modern lawyers to be good. Um, and don't miss our next episode when JP Box is going to return as our co-host as much as we have loved having Lauren help us out. Um, and actually on that one, he is going to be our featured guest, JP. Um, they're talking about work-life blend, living the modern lawyer way. As always, thank you for joining us today and thank you for joining the revolution.